I wanted to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. I was glad to see them show all the helpful community things they did. Yeah. Because my role, I mean, I was a foot soldier, so it was just help out where you can. I was a student at Roosevelt University at that time. One of my best friends, though, was really on the inside. Um, and it was really through her just that I got to learn about the Panthers. What was your first involvement with protesting in Chicago? Because I remembered you talking about housing discrimination um, early on. Was that sort of the main issue initially, or was that something that kind of came later? Or what exactly was like the trajectory of all of this? When I moved to Naperville back in 67, I started fall of 67. Remember, King was killed in 68. Um, mm -hmm. It was about blacks couldn't live in Naperville at that time. And for me, it, being followed around a bookstore, being called was that was a first in Naperville. Walking mm -hmm. home from the bookstore back to my college dorm and having a carload of white boys yell, go back to Africa, Jungle Bunny. Um, and then we protested about Blacks not being able to live in the town. There was, there was just nothing available. And then going into Chicago, food was a, food scarcity, what we now call food scarcity, was a, always a major problem. And I just, the idea that little had to go hungry just made no sense to me. And the city wasn't trying to feed them. So... Yeah my introduction to the Panthers is they were community organizers doing good for the community. Yeah. And I thought that was always an interesting point. Um, Cause that was the lens that I had always viewed them through. Um, I don't know. It, uh, there was this really interesting scene and I wrote this down uh, and it kind of summed up how I feel like the Panthers were viewed in general, um, but it was when Roy Mitchell, who was the FBI officer, uh, who essentially like, he, uh, he has this conversation where he's sitting with Bill and he's like, um, he's like, you know, I investigated the Freedom Summer, you know, deaths of uh, Schwarner, Cheney and Goodman in Mississippi in 1964. And he discusses how like, you know, uh, the civil rights activists got arrested on bogus speeding charges and then hand-delivered to the Klan by the sheriff. And um, he had this crazy phrase where he was like, or this crazy statement where he said, this is the other side of that coin. Don't let Hampton um, fool you. The Panthers and the Klan are the same. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire the terror, plain and simple. Yeah. And like that statement was how a lot of white folks I remember it always viewed the Black Panther Party. Yeah. And it was really frustrating because it was just such a finite fact of like, oh, they're the Black Klan. Like I remember freshman year of high school, I'm commuting to like a brand new high school uh, that's like not in our hometown. I don't know anybody. 
it's super strict, all boys, like one of the, you know, like I took a test, got into one of the best high schools in, uh, in Cincinnati. Um, my point is, is I remember this teacher talking about racism somehow, and I don't know how we got on the topic of it in class, but they were talking about racism and he mentions the KKK and then he follows the statement with, or the Black Panther Party, you know, from like another perspective. And it was this idea of comparing the Black Panther Party to the Ku Klux Klan and putting them on the exact same podium, like the reasons for their creation were exactly the same, like the outreach or things they were involved in were exactly the same. Um, so my frustration and one of the reasons I continue to do race work especially with whites that are willing to engage the conversation, is to know their complicity. What is the history of this country that mm. would make, that, that whites have benefited from? Let's start with free labor, enslavement. Huh? So yeah. coming forward, the picture that Hoover painted, whether he was following Martin or Malcolm or Fred, that whole idea that any time a black person and black men in general stand up for their rights, oh, all men aren't created equal. Oh, I, I thought they were following all men are created equal. Um, mm -hmm. They get painted as, as hatred. And if you think about this last president, let's put a fine tune on it. Um, that comment against the 1619 project. Yeah. How could you dare criticize American exceptionalism? Yeah. Oh, and the fact that we treat people as chattel slavery, see them as three-fifths of a human being, that, that, that was just the time. Yeah. So those insurrectionists and the hatred that they sowed was not what Black Lives Matter was about. Black Lives Matter was about police brutality. Excuse me, did you see any police brutality during the insurrection? Or did you see the police being brutalized? One of the things that this film didn't necessarily touch on is like how successful COINTELPRO was in terms of using disinformation to initiate violence between black peoples like they got into the disinformation between the crowns and the black panther party that the fbi put out and how fred hampton wasn't having it but the thing people forget like if you look at a like a bunchy carter in los angeles mm -hmm. he was killed because of information that the federal bureau of investigation put out it was just very frustrating um well, the case against Angela Davis, I mean, I was yeah, mad to yeah. see that presented as how she won, and she was brilliant. There was no way a Hoover was going to tolerate a Black woman smarter than him, women probably in general, but certainly not a Black yeah. woman. And so the fact that we were fact finders and that we could be dissuaded from looking out for each other's interest. I mean, I have, I've made myself read some of what this QAnon believes and living here in the DC area and thinking about their invasion of a pizza parlor because they thought they were doing what to children? Trafficking in children? 
it's pretty strange. And then I ask myself, oh, this supports their belief that black people are not fully human. And once you make someone a beast or an animal, it's so much easier to mistreat them if you don't feel anything because you mistreat animals. Oh, well, it's just an animal. This COVID, it has felt very intentional to let people of color die. I'm not going to lie. Because when yeah. you look at where the numbers, where the high concentrations are. And so in some ways that, yes, there's a history of Black people being mistreated by the medical profession. But this doing nothing is also intentional. But when you look at the way disinformation works, and people are not going to question, I mean, one of the things that we've seen is there is a sizable portion of the population currently that wants to be told what, what to do. So for them, the 1930s, 1950s, those, that was good for them as white people. They don't want to see people of color be their equal, and we are. And they don't like it. So they will push back by any means necessary. And disinformation is one of those means. And in Judas, there are good and bad. I think for me, I was reminded that to not be too self-righteous <laughs> in doing the work I do around race because just like 45 said, oh, there are good people on both sides after Charlottesville, after that young woman was killed, that young white woman, um, to realize that we always have to be on our toes and the importance of building a relationship. And the informant was very good at building relationship with the yeah. people there. And, and there was so much, it was so overwhelming, the amount of work to be done to feed people, to house people, to clothe people, to educate people. I loved the Saturday schools, the whole idea of you needed to hear another history yeah. that you weren't getting at school. And at that time, that was something as college students we could, we could do. Ever since this summer, I've just had this kind of this sort of thing clawing at me and nagging at me since the stuff with George Floyd of uh, how do you have these conversations in places that are not big cities, in places that are not New York, LA, Chicago, DC. How do you, how do you have that conversation when it's an all white environment? It's still, I think what, when, when I hear you say that, it is good to hear someone of the millennial generation say, we still need to have these conversations because it is about relationship. One of the key issues is how do you build relationship to get past this wrapping? How do you, how do you get past that so that we can talk about how we work together? And for me, that's where Fred was a very gifted speaker. Because yeah. when he talked to the gangs about, yeah, they, ooh, those were some fierce guns there. But if you're going to police the neighborhood, then you need to feed people. And how do you do that? Not feed them drugs where you're making money <coughs> because that's bringing the heat on you. So <coughs> it takes, and, and it takes time 
and it takes a lot of people. For me, we are in an all hands on deck moment because what I learned in this last election is how quickly voting rights can be undone. And so how do we remain vigilant? I don't think we can manufacture these conversations. I think we have to be willing to have them not to change who the person is, but to say, what do we share in common? So I'd like to start with the common ground being our humanity. Just let me tell you that, yes, the that movie showed one informant, but based on my friend who I went to college with, there were multiple informants. And that was true in all groups. Because there's always there's always somebody that's going to gain by bringing someone else down. Okay. You know this, that doesn't stop you from doing the work may make you a little wary of who you trust, but just know that, that there are always informants who do not have your best interest at heart. The fact that these stories can still go untold, unheard, is mind-boggling, but it takes people saying, yeah, I'll sit down and talk to you or young people like you saying, hey, let's have a conversation, um, that that they will get told and bit by bit, that whole notion of each one reach one, each one teach one actually happens because then you are able to disrupt when you hear disinformation. You don't know it's disinformation if you don't know any other stories. It's true. Yeah. This was fun. So thank you for inviting me in and having a conversation. Yeah.